I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to do what musicians do. Nothing I do is really new. It's just a transfer to this instrument. I'm a working musician. I'm a forever sideman. I don't, I don't lead groups. <laughs> I'm not much of a self-promoter. And, uh, but with a name like Cloud, you know, it, if my last name was Gishpansky or something like that, you know. I'd, yeah, that's Bouvier Gishpansky on the, on the banjo. Greetings, everyone. Howdy, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, featuring your host, Keith Billick. Hey, that's me. And uh, I'm sure glad you could all join me again. Last episode, I remember I encouraged everyone in the States to make sure you go vote, and that's now behind us. And it's been a heck of a week, right? So I'm, I'm here to provide some, some cleansing energy that can only be achieved through the, the beautiful sounds of the banjo and bring you know inner peace back to everyone who's maybe felt a little anxious, including myself. So happy to be back here with you. And I have a great episode for you. You know, another way to bring myself inner peace besides actually playing or listening to the banjo is to talk about my lovely, lovely Patreon supporters. And today I'm thrilled to be able to thank a gentleman named Pete Miller for his Patreon support of the podcast. Pete has a pretty familiar story that I hear about fairly often where he played banjo once upon a time, but one thing, one reason or another, he he had to put it down. But now with this whole COVID quarantine thing going on, he thought that would be a great time to pick it back up. So he bought himself a Deering banjo and he's hitting those left and right hand boot camps pretty hard. And he says they're really helpful. Well, Pete, congratulations on getting back into it, even if it had to be under uh, some slightly less than ideal circumstances. But hey, maybe it, maybe it was fate all along, just conspiring to reunite you with the banjo here. And we're really glad to have you back. And I'm really glad to have you as a Patreon supporter. So thank you so much. For those of you who don't know how to become a Patreon supporter, but would love to, uh, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and the vast majority of the of the income that keeps this show running comes uh, directly from you Patreon supporters. So I am I am ever thankful for those of you who are able to do that. As always, you can also support the show in all the regular ways that you support uh, other businesses or podcasts. You can subscribe and like and and rate the podcast five stars, of course. You can share the episodes with your friends on social media. Uh, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me on there. And I love just uh, connecting with all of you and really happy to have you listening today. Today's special guest is Pat Cloud. Pat is one of the main groundbreaking pioneers of playing traditional jazz on the five-string banjo. As you can hear in the uh, music in the background right now, 
he was doing things in the early 80s that would still be considered pretty progressive and and out there even by today's standards so he was way ahead of his time and still remains uh, one of the best at what he does I, f- I feel really fortunate to have been able to do this interview for for quite a few reasons not the least of which is this interview actually took place about a week before quarantine really hit so it was one of the last opportunities I had to meet up with anybody in person for doing podcast interviews. Another reason is Pat is famously uh, somewhat enigmatic. He he isn't a big self-promoter. You don't really see him around at festivals and stuff. So he's, he's a little hard to track down. And to that end, I owe a huge debt to a guy named Dub Pierce, who is a great banjo player in his own right, has a great YouTube channel where if you're interested in jazz banjo, uh, Dub Pierce's channel is a great place to stop for that. But at any rate, uh, Dub reached out to me and made the connection between Pat and I. And while I was on my vacation in California earlier this year, uh, Dub arranged, he's a, he's a recording engineer, and arranged to have some studio space available for Pat and I to to use for this interview. And you're going to hear more about Dub in the next part. This is actually a at least a two-part interview. Pat and I had quite a long conversation. He actually thought of a really intriguing idea that he wanted to compose a piece during the interview. And that is something that you're going to have to listen to part two for. But if you hear him refer to composing a a piece of music on the spot, that's what he's talking about. So that was part of this interview. Um, That's going to be in a future episode. But you'll be able to tell immediately that Pat is a very cerebral musician and has been one of the real true innovators on the instrument. So I think you'll really enjoy hearing what he has to say. Uh, So here he is, part one of the interview with Pat Cloud. The story goes like this. I might have, I don't know if I've even mentioned it before, but... Uh, you mentioned something about a house that you were moving into or moving out of and my parents finding were, something? My parents were moving into a new house. Okay. And they were working, both of them. And so I was uh, stationed at the house to let people in the backyard to work in the backyard. Okay. <clears throat> this was the summer of 63. And there was nothing but a couch, a divan, and... Um, sort of this retro-style uh, uh, record player, you know, with the big horn with the speaker in the middle. Sure. Right? You know, that sort of thing. With a little and, dog listening to it? Was it was well, no, no. It, okay. it, it, was, it was, you know, trying to copy that, you know, yeah. in a retro way. But So uh, my mother said, oh, well, you know, you'll be here by yourself. You need some music. Mm-hmm. So she's, she went down to uh, one of these clubs, uh, uh, store clubs called Unimart at the time, and uh, bought three records. The one record was Montavani Presents. And what is that? The elevator music. It's you know. Okay. It's schmaltzy. It's, yeah, schmaltzy kind of or- yeah. orchestral. All right. <laughs> and then, um, then, two other records: Foggy Mountain Banjo and Flat and Scruggs at Carnegie Hall. Much better. Much All better. Right? <laughs> I listened to about twenty seconds of Montavani. <laughs> so you had good taste even back then. 
well, I uh, didn't really want to be on an elevator, you know. Uh, so what, with this record player, you put a record on, it keeps playing it over and over again until you decide to turn it over. Mm -hmm. So it was wallpaper for about three weeks. Just looping them. Looping it, looping it. And uh, it always was amazing to me because there's this Foggy Mountain Banjo album, there's this picture of Earl in a painting. Right. And it looks like a, you know, this really funny look. Yeah, and, he's, and he's holding up these picks that look like weapons. They're, 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 <laughs> they're, 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 they're filed off to little points, you know. Yeah. And he's really proud. He's holding up his three fingers like this. So that, that got me curious. Okay. So when we uh, finally moved into the place, my sister, my aunt, my mother's sister, uh, they went to a swap meet and brought back things to hang on the walls. And one of the things they brought back was a Sears silver, silver tone style banjo, I guess, but with only three strings. It was a five string okay. banjo. And they right. hung it up in the, in the foyer, you know, on the wall as a decoration. And uh, I'd sneak this thing down start the record up and get a, uh, a matchbook cover. And I didn't know, I, I, I could see there weren't all the strings there, but I'd sort of try to play along. I never touched the tuners, but I'd try to get a groove, you know, acting as if, that's what a child does. Okay, you know? yeah. A little kid. Acting as if is actually a great, a great way to learn anything, actually. Sure, yeah. You know, there's a kind psychology to make it sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and um, my mother, she knows her son. She would say to me, now, Pat, put that back. You're not allowed to touch that. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that's, that's the ultimate <laughs> temptation right there is the forbidden fruit. Yes, yes. Cool. So uh, a friend of my father's uh, took me down to a music store and uh, bought five a new set of five strings. He played a sort of a Merle Travis uh, guitar style, and he tuned it up with a pitch pipe to, you know, C banjo tuning and just started to play with these two fingers, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't let him out of there till he showed me how he did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was the beginning of it. So did you progress pretty quickly then, and was it the Scruggs style that really caught your ear that you wanted to pursue? Uh, luckily, the record player had a 16 and 7 eighths uh, RPM mm -hmm. on it. So I was told by this guitar player friend of my stepfather's that if I wanted to learn, I should learn off of records. Uh -huh. And he said, slow them down, slow yeah. these records down. So I started out with plastic picks, you know, the sort of, then um, I don't know how I got hip to nationals, but I got some old nationals. And mm -hmm. I even filed them. To filed look them like up. the yeah, Foggy to look like, banjo yeah, yeah, exactly. painting? Yeah, Earl was my main beginning influence. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Right. Um, little did I know I'd... Uh, it's been half a century doing it, but uh, <laughs> it's amazing to me. So then, uh, obviously, what most people know you for at this point is being the dude who figured out how to play jazz on the banjo. What were what was like the next step from going from slowing down Earl to maybe developing your melodic sense and the way you approach the banjo in that regard? Um. There was a banjo album called uh, New Dimensions in Banjo and Bluegrass by uh, Eric Weisberg and Marshall Brickman. And uh, they were doing some of this uh, kind of melodic things. And yeah. Gordon Terry was playing the fiddle. I think even Clarence White was playing some a little bit. Okay. Of, you know. And um, 
well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think at heart, I've always been a melodist type person. As opposed to maybe a more, I don't know, rhythm-oriented person? I mean, you you obviously need both, but... You know, I've always liked melodies. I think I dabbled in classical guitar at that early period. Anyway, I learned by uh, taking a... The same way you did with, with Earl. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you also have kind of your own way of getting around melodically now. When did that? When did you start exploring those kind of things? That's a hard question. I, I'm not sure that... All I wanted to do was just uh, see what it looked like. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do, if I heard later, it, it would be any instrument, piano, or I just wanted to see how it looked. I guess I've had this thing where... If it obstructs me, I'm a real, I'm not a technician, I'm a uh, opportunist in terms of technique. Hmm. If the banjo doesn't like it, I'll, I'll pretty much abandon it and try some other approach. Okay. If, it, if it's a phrase or something that I want to learn, then uh, I'll see what the banjo does like and see, see if I can keep the gist of something without getting too far away from it. Unless I'm trying to make something up, then, then I'll truncate or uh, concatate or... Uh, yeah. uh, phrases and things like that. So, And by but, something the banjo doesn't like, what do you mean? Just trying to play a melody that for some reason doesn't lay out friend, in it's a friendly all, way? It's all, on the a, it's all in my head. It's a personal mythology to me <laughs> because it has nothing to do with anything that's, that's verifiable, you know. But you had a sense of this is something worth practicing and working on and developing versus this might be a dead end or this is for oh, someone else to figure you've, out. You've nailed it, Keith. I tell okay. you, all, for the first 20 or 25 years, I said, I, this is a lost end. You know, I thought maybe if I, if I tried to, to just learn as much as I could about the system here, you know, the G tuning and all that, uh-huh. that it might be something that would be worth, uh, uh, you know, that, that people would find valuable. But... I don't think so, really. I think all it is with me is that uh, I have to know how it's done. I, I, that's, what, that's what got me to sit down for hours in front of a, a record player. Right. And, and if, I don't, if I can't find out how it's done, I, would, uh, I was copying Douglas Dillard, people like that, and the Dillards were playing in town at the time. So um, we'd go to their concerts. I wasn't old enough, so a mandolin player, a friend of mine, would drive me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the first show was standing room only. The second show was a little. And then third show, I could, I know where Doug was going to stand with the microphone set up. So uh, I'd get into oh, a position yeah. so I could look up his neck. Yeah. See, like looking up a banjo player's skirt or something. Like that. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> because I wanted to see how his left hand differed from the way my left hand had, had tried to uh, sonically put it together without actually seeing it, you know. Yeah. But like anybody else, Douglas Dillard or Scruggs or any any player, uh, any player, you know, they're 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 in a constant state of uh, either changing or, or so. Some of the stuff he was doing was new to me because he wasn't playing it the same way. He did he did it on the record, you see. Yeah. Am I getting close to the gist of your? I I don't I don't think that what I'm doing is. I can't identify it as anything unusual. Yeah, I, I, I was just a little it. shocked I, to hear you say something that, that to me sounded like you were taking the easy way out, 
when you said you would abandon it if the banjo didn't like it, because everything about your playing does not leave anyone with the impression of that you're someone who took an easy way out because to, well, to us mere mortals, what you do is really difficult. Um, if, if, I find, um, if I find something, let's see, how could we say this? I mean, it's well known. For everyone other than the people in this room who can't see what you're doing is playing the I'm G playing major of, scale. I'm playing it over the positions, you know, of of, uh, of a G chord at right. uh, at the fifth fret. Mm-hmm. When I can go. And a melodic. And so it's open strings. It's it's a cross string kind of playing, but um, what started to happen when I was uh, getting into the the horn players and everything is that the fifth string became a vehicle of uh, of getting close to a lot of the the argot of jazz phrases and things like that you know the cliches and all that sort of thing can you remember an example of one of the early things that got you excited about trying to play jazz on the banjo and then in what ways do you think that the fifth string helped you oh let's uh, see do that I remember uh, sitting in an apartment with a reel-to-reel listening to Oscar Peterson mm-hmm. and uh, Sea Jam Blues, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, taking that solo apart. And I think he's. You know, and um, I would I would try to find um, as close as I could get, you know. And even that, you slowing down records. Yeah, with well, that it too? was a, it was a two speed tape recorder, a Marantz okay. cassette. Well, that was first was a reel to reel, then I got a, a Marantz cassette. That had, okay, right. Yeah, you said the, the they tape. had a two speed yeah, right. thing on it. You know, it's uh, old technology. Mm-hmm. Then um, somebody gave me a. Um, a Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker recording, and visually, I'd have this picture of uh, these little silver bullets going through and hitting all of these melodic note balloons. And then I realized that what they were playing was, um, but only in B flat. Okay. It was the blues, and they were using all of these transition types of chords. Uh-huh. So I uh, I bought a Joe Pass book. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so uh, you know, with it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I started the best I could copying those kind of, which was a little more difficult because of the range of an alto sax. Mm-hmm. So I would take what I could I could find and see I see how it looks. You know how it looks. You know. Okay. You're talking about the like the Charlie Parker lines now. The Charlie yeah. Parker lines, and. Um, I started writing music. Uh, started writing music notation because huh. somebody told me to do it. Okay. Just like a, a, a jazz guitar player told me, well, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to learn to play jazz, you got to transcribe solos and you got to learn all your scales. You know. Yeah. So um, 
these people weren't teachers, so to speak, but they were people that said, this is what you got to do. Okay, well, okay, fine. You viewed them as an authority I, of some sort, so... Yeah, well, I don't know. Musical instruments, what are you going to say about it? Each one is a discrete invention, and um, they're just, they're all noisemakers, you know, they're just... Yeah. <laughs> so th- this, had a, this had a beautiful system because it's tuned in thirds, beautiful thirds. So all of the uh, all of the positions are very pleasingly geometric, and um, uh, I've I've been on this kick of threes. <laughs> okay, how do you threes. mean? Huh? How do you mean you've been on a kick of threes? Oh, you're talking about your banjo now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, I'm talking about the chord structure, for instance. Okay. Yeah, we got the three. Right. Okay. But if you're playing this. There's three. There's three more discrete uh, things, and then the last inversion. Uh, well, anyway, and it, because there's three inversions for every every chord, then the diatonic harmony, the harmony, has has uh, three three different shapes for each inversion. Right. Okay. Then the minor has has three more shapes. Uh-huh. So that's twice nine. So you have a you have a, a series of eighteen beautifully memorable shapes that uh, that you can learn and uh, and put together, uh, which which form the uh, you know the the uh, the definition of the keys you know yeah on 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 the strings and and I say this because if you've got something here like uh, say an E minor here um, third string fourth uh, first and second fifth it translates over to to fourth string fifth, third string fourth, and second string fifth. You know, and you get a nice little uh, uh, E minor sound. Yeah. This might be a bit of a tangent, but do you know what synesthesia is? Are you familiar with that? I knew that? you were going to ask that. Really? How did oh, you know? I see colors. In fact, that's why I'm going to write a song. Oh. Okay. Because what? Well, I don't what, mean to steal your thunder. Oh uh, no, no, no! It's all right. It's not that. It's just that uh, I rarely mentioned it. Uh, the tuba player at Disney knew what I was talking about. Huh? Uh, C is sort of a, sort of an amber. F F is moving into uh, I don't know. It's not quite green, but sort of yellowish green. So this and is it, right on for you when I ask that. It's not like, like they pop up in front of my eyes or anything. It's it it it, it would be just the same as if I said uh, Abraham Lincoln. Now you're looking right at me, but you know what Abraham Lincoln looks like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to close your eyes and get a blank screen and all that. You know. You you know, or a, you know a purple cow. You know or whatever. But the difference between a synesthesia, a synesthetic, is that what you would call a person with? Yeah. Uh, is Abraham Lincoln has an objective visual component, whereas a musical note And I understand doesn't. different uh, kinesthesis. Uh, they have they have different mirages of, of sure, colors. Sure, you know, they'll sure. they'll see differently. Um, one lady who was a great pianist uh, said that she sees uh, the key the key of C or C as black. Right. <laughs> Very so it's dark, still sunny. subjective. It's a subjective be- thing between yeah, yeah the people. Yeah. And um, 
I thought everybody was in. I just, I thought everybody saw colors when they, I just, it isn't like they just stark out and paint across the, you know, it, it's just sort of an inner kind of thing. I, I'm not even aware of it at first, huh. but if I'm, if I'm jamming with someone, um, you know, if I just relax and, and, uh, and, and, and cool it and look at the guitar player's hand and just sort of, um, it'll, it'll start to happen. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of these things, um, it's like this. Oh, the, <laughs> if you try the, to grasp it, it, it's elusive. But if you just relax, it sort of uh, makes itself. Especially after I feel that I've gotten the progression down, then yeah. then I can see the panoply go about, you know, go across, you know, in a in a sort of benign way. Yeah, that's way. In, that's incredible. I, I'm not. It's somebody not as, who it's not as that, it's not as stark as a, as it as it is to describe it. It's a very sort of inward kind of. <laughs> If I'm if I'm at home with, on the couch with my eyes closed, I see it really well because hmm. I'm relaxed. I'm well, not... I just noticed that everything you say comes seems to come back to either a shape or a visual component of some sort. So yeah, I was just I was really curious about that. So that makes a lot of sense. Hey, sorry to interrupt everybody, but I just couldn't resist an opportunity to tell you about the world's most trusted source for new used and vintage fretted instruments. And that of course is Elderly Instruments, which is a family owned business located in Lansing, Michigan. But if you're not in Lansing, that's okay. They ship worldwide too. And they just have a vast selection of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, ukuleles, mandolins, all the accessories and books that you'd want for either of those. And of course, plenty and plenty of banjos. And something that people don't often think about when you're buying stuff like that, particularly entry-level instruments, is the fact that they have a world-renowned repair shop as well. When all those instruments come into the store, if they do not pass a thorough setup and inspection by the repair shop, they get sent back. And that sometimes angers the suppliers of elderly instruments, but it lets you know that elderly stands by their products. And they also have a helpful and knowledgeable sales staff to help you find what you need and you can be confident that you're going to get something that is set up to elderly's high quality standards so if that sounds great and i know it does check them out at elderly.com or call 517-372-7880 to speak to one of their helpful salespeople. it's where i go and it's where you should go to the picky fingers banjo podcast is also proud to be sponsored by peghead nation with Peghead Nation's streaming video courses, perfect for quarantine, by the way, but they have courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. For example, listen to some of the courses. These are just the banjo courses that they offer. Uh, a couple different classes with Bill Evans, such as beginning banjo and bluegrass banjo. You can learn claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wesley Corbett. And each of those courses includes high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. So it's everything you need to up your skills, especially in these isolated times. And listen up, because this is the best part. If you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you're going to get your first month free by going to pegheadnation.com 
and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at pegheadnation.com. Check it out. The threes that I'm talking about are the chord forms, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the structure of the neck, you were asking about, uh, what was the question you asked? You asked, uh, you thought that I had some different way. I, I can't identify that because I just look at people's left hand. Uh-huh. But there are a couple of things that, that are interesting. Let's say if we're in the key of G here. And I'll uh, third string open, fourth string at the seventh, second string open, third string fifth, first string open, first string open, second string at the fifth, and first string at the fourth, mm-hmm. and then fifth string. Well, I look at this as a breaking point on top. For one thing, when you get up the neck, it, uh, it facilitates the use of the fifth string. Mm-hmm. So like this. They shift down in, in pairs. This is the first and second string. Second and third, which is uh, second string seventh, third string nine. And then it goes all the way down to the third string eleventh, uh, fourth string at the fourteenth. All right. I call these breaking points. Because in different keys, say we move to B flat. You have it there, and you have it here. So the breaking point is, is the same, except it's moved down. Okay. All right. Um, after you get to about th- three sharps or five f- flats, it disappears because you okay. you you no longer have that pivot exactly yeah. the nature of the instrument you know i don't think this instrument was thought out all that well you know <laughs> i think it arose out of the dirt somewhere you know <laughs> <laughs> you know i look at i see these egyptian hieroglyphs of these uh, uh, the, the, the the musician servants to the king uh, you know playing uh, gourd instruments you know so mm. it's as, it's as old as dirt you know yeah quite literally so uh, you have to make a, i tried to make of it how did I know whether it was thought out or not? I had no idea what the history of it was, you know. Hmm. Um, so you mentioned that somebody told you that the most important things were to learn all your scales and what else did you say? Um, something of that nature, and that actually is... Transcribe like, jazz solos. And a transcribe, yeah. okay. I mean, I know, so I have your your book about the... How to play? Oh, thank you. How to play jazz, <laughs> and that is a big part of what you. So you you must have, to some extent, bought into that advice because that is a, a decent part of that is to to I hear to those a, scales and to hear them go through the the circles of fourths and and, well, and those types okay. of things. Well, okay. Um, you know, in uh, the musicians' union uh, book, they have people listed under you know certain instruments. I had uh, Local 7 over here in uh, Anaheim when I was working with Disney. And they have, you know, horn players, piano players. Then they have a category called miscellaneous. And guess which banjos, category ukulele, the banjo is in. Yeah. You know, jazz harp, you know. And so um, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to do what musicians do. 
I wanted to hang around people who played music on non-miscellaneous instruments, right? So I wanted to be able to converse with them. I wanted to be able to learn what they were learning. I wanted to be able to uh, to uh, accept and just... Nothing I do is really new. It's just a transfer to this instrument. Yeah. I'm a working musician. I'm a forever sideman. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't lead groups. <laughs> right. I'm not much of a self-promoter. And... Uh, but with a name like Cloud, you know, it's 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 a good studio or a good, you know, if my last name was Gishpansky or something like that, it's a little you know, more who would, memorable. Uh, Andy's Bouvier, spell. Yeah. yeah, that's Bouvier Gishpansky on the on the badger. <laughs> but you do you still think that that if 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 you had a student, for example, who said, you know, I learned some Scruggs stuff, but I really love Dizzy Gillespie and Joe Pass. What should I do? That that is what you would still recommend. Well, that's uh, why the I wrote the straight saw. ahead jazz banjo book because I wanted to at least give uh, a brief preview of some of the things that were transferred from things like guitar music, uh, piano music, and, and horn music. But I wanted to make it banjoistic. I wanted to uh, at least cover the key of G from people that wanted to make the transition between. Uh, uh, and don't get me wrong, my, my assessment of where this instrument is, is, uh, is that a lot of people don't know people like A.A. A. Farland or Vess Osman, you know, the early pioneers, because banjos started out melodic, hmm. okay? Yeah. Then the, the genius, or Earl Scruggs, just changed all that, you see? Uh, he had not only a simple style, but a very forceful, uh, metronomic, uh, athletic right-hand development. And he just, uh, he just turned this whole spin of the banjo world around, you know. And, uh, uh, but that's okay, you know. Um, well, probably the, the song I'm going to try to come up with here tonight, um, I'll, I'll, you know, I, I was telling uh, Dub, Nobody wants to hear Stella by Starlight uh, or uh, all all the things yeah, all the things uh, you are. I, I think you're outnumbered. You are. Yeah. I, I'm just well. Maybe I'm making maybe I'm making an assumption that's uh, but uh, that seems more like novelty to a lot of people, you know. So it might be. But, <laughs> I mean, the the jazz players still play those too, and. It, that's no different. You're hearing, you're enjoying the musicality that you hear. Um, so back to your story, who were you? Uh, I don't know if I skipped too far ahead, getting you talking about jazz too much, but who were you? How was your career going? Who were you playing with at that point? Or what were your experiences in developing as oh, a professional? See. I actually started working at a music store called McCabe's Guitar Store in 1970. And I didn't read tablature. I had the Pete Seeger Red Book, but I couldn't make head and the tails of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bob Baxter, who was running the uh, the stringed uh, stringed music uh, teaching at uh, McCabe's Guitar Shop, said I'd have to send the students home with something. So he suggested writing a line, and underneath was the string number, and on top would be the fret number. If you were sliding on a string, you'd put uh, two dash three on the third string or something. Okay. Like that. And um, 
So I wrote out all my tablature that I knew with that simple system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was teaching at McCabe's Guitar Store maybe two or three years. Then um, I believe in the mid-70s, joined a band called uh, The New Tradition with uh, Jimmy Goodrow and uh, <coughs> Keith Whitley. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jim Lanners on bass. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's still a good friend. In fact, we're going to breakfast tomorrow. And that was, whew, just hold on. I mean, those guys, it, boom, they just take right off, and it was just... Was that pretty straight ahead bluegrass? Oh with yeah, those guys? but it, okay. but they were because it was the new tradition. They'd do things, uh, you know, like uh, uh, things things that were that were happening in you know pop rock type. Okay. You know, you know. Uh, so that was uh, that was a great period. Um, in probably seventy four, beginning of seventy five. I really wanted to get interested in this improvisation stuff. Hmm. In the 70s, I'd go with the, the bluegrass band at the time was, uh, uh, <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Are we thinking? Got any gum? Oh, let's see. Uh, uh, Town and Country Boys. And we'd go to the Weezer, Idaho uh, fiddle contest up in Weezer, Idaho. And uh, about that time in the early 70s, there was a, a kid running around named Mark O'Connor, who was nine years old and almost winning all the adult contests. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. lighten it up. But uh, my experience with that was I was playing some melodic things then, but uh, during the evening, they'd uh, run up two uh, pickup trucks together and, and start them up and let them idle. Then they'd take um, cables off the, off the batteries set them up so there'd be some light. And um, there were four fiddlers, uh, Roy Lee Cowan, Texas Shorty, Benny Thomason, and Byron Berline. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would get uh, one of these old time tunes like, oh, Dun Gone or something like that. You know? And they'd, uh, they'd just take chorus after chorus of these improvised solos. It, it just thrilled me to death. I couldn't... I was so, it just changed my life. Okay. And, and I just wanted to know how that was done. Up Again, to that point, you didn't really improvise at all? Or? Oh, no, no. Uh, Byron Berline had been living in the uh, Los Angeles area in, in San Fernando Valley. Okay. And he made me a cassette tape of old-time fiddle tunes. So I was, I was uh, hoovering that all up, you know, mm-hmm. absorbing it as much as possible. And um, because... Uh, it, it's all the same thing, you know. Uh, they used to, uh, in, in the Texas and Oklahoma-style fiddling, they used to grade you off for getting too jazzy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't like that. Is that great or what? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so most of the things that they were doing when they'd have the jam sessions, they were just, they got all the, you know, all the shackles off and they were just playing whatever came to their mind and what they liked to do. So that's their chance. That was their chance. Yeah. And it was just some of the most... I'll, I said, that's that's it. I've got to sometime get into jazz playing because, first of all, I know the pattern of, uh, of uh, harmony uh, was a little more advanced, especially from the, the bebop 40s, you know, mid-40s yeah. on. Um, I, re- I remember reading an article uh, 
uh, I think Benny Goodman called bebop uh, Chinese music. <laughs> Play <laughs> every generation has their you know playing uh, playing wrong notes on purpose. Right, right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bridge too far. Oh yeah. So uh, all of this stuff just fascinated me, and uh, here I got a banjo and I play a little banjo with it, you know. And I, for me, it just. Uh, and you I went just, right for the bebop. Why not? I mean, I, I somebody, I won't name it, the person. Somebody said you can't do that on banjo. And it went back to mom saying, "Now you can't. <laughs> you're not allowed to touch. You're not the allowed banjo. to touch that banjo. <laughs> right? That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> My nose crinkles up and I go, right. you know, just so. Uh, and I also started uh, in the mid '70s, uh, actually." A little bit in the mid '70s, but more in the '80s after I uh, reemerged. Uh, I started. Uh, well, I've got about oh, I don't know, 50, 53 uh, jazz transcriptions of Sonny Stitt, uh, piano players Oscar Peterson, uh, um, because I, I got a, a tape recorder and one of these little keyboard things, you know, that I could... So I transcribed solos uh, because that's what they told me to do, you know. Yeah. You know, at that time, the, the only real jazz playing was, was four-string. Right. A lot of it was tenor. I couldn't, I couldn't relate. Plectrum, I related to more. And um, I met a, a, a gentleman at Disney named Doug Maddox, virtuoso uh, plays a great five string but is a, just a virtuoso plectrum player okay and he showed me some chords and I said to him I'm not letting you leave till you show me how you did that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are all starting to sound familiar <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he got me into chord soloing okay because I just uh, on the that, five string or on the four on the five okay do you have any like what was he showing you do you have anything you could demonstrate that's oh, kind I think of, of it that was, yes sir that's my baby or okay. something it was these are one of these old tunes i can't remember okay. which, which it was but uh and he was in the key of like, c tuning you know so yep. uh, uh and so i found out i made another great discovery at least a personal one uh listening to the bebop players especially bud powell who uh, pioneered a kind of right hand that was really sparse as he was soloing with his excuse me, pioneered a kind of left hand, I'm left-handed, really sparse left hand while he would be soloing with his... So I was listening to these these notes, these guide notes that he was doing with his left hand. Wait a minute. I'd hear things like... Know, that sort of thing with the left hand. Well, like he'd tritones, be, basically. Yeah, yeah, those, tritone okay. little things. Sometimes they were open fifths, uh-huh. you know. Uh, but he's concentrating on his right hand uh, solo. You see. Sure. And I, I, and then I discovered that if you wanted to play a thirteen chord, all you need is the tritone and the six. Just like that. With the with that kind of voicing. Um, Move this, move this 13th or the 6th down to becomes G7 sharp. 
five. Move the whole position down to, I got C9. Sharp the nine and you're back. You know, these are the kind of left hand things that, that not not exactly what Bud Powell was doing. I'm just saying that, that I, I found that these things were were, uh, were were sitting there right in plain sight, you know, uh-huh. hiding in plain sight. I guess uh, an obstacle that definitely frustrates me, so I imagine it probably frustrates a lot of other people, is even going from something like what you just demonstrated, maybe we can understand how to make these chords, but then if you try to listen to bebop and try to figure out... Now what? I, I know they're in there somewhere, but it's it's so hard to to hear on an internal level, the same way maybe a lot of us hear a one four five change in a in a bluegrass song. So were you I, I, were you I, pretty I successful at? I empathize with that really. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, um, the transition is not as onerous or hard as you might think. It might take a little bit of listening to some of the key mm-hmm. key albums, you know. Uh, uh, to to get to get used to what they're doing, the extended yeah. harmonies and that sort of thing, but um, you know I'd be listening to a, a Charlie Parker solo right in the middle of it. He quotes Popeye the Sailor Man, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. You know, it, it's all just melody. You know, uh, Sonny Rollins. You know, uh, what did he do? Uh, I'm an old cow hand. <laughs> oh, in in what context? Jazz context. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't realize I, that. I mean, so to these guys, it's all just melodies. Uh-huh. But, um, and and I I could say that uh, all is not just sugar and spice all the time with playing the banjo because I, um, and I would give workshops, and um, at the very end, um, I would ask make a survey. Say it's a 30, 35 people. And I'd say, now, how many of you can name the notes on your banjo? Maybe, maybe two hands, three, really? three if you're like, yeah. Huh. And this would now, be at like you, a festival huh? situation, yeah, like yeah, festival a, setting, a, a or banjo camp, yeah, you know, that right. sort of thing. Yeah. So, to me, that's discouraging. Yeah. Um, how many have uh, actually taken the notes on a banjo? And, and matched it up to standard notation, um, which is why I always present all of the material I have uh, in both standard and tablature. So that they can see that so correspondence. That they can see, yeah, so they okay. can see the correspondence. And in fact, part of what the banjo likes, <laughs> part <laughs> has nothing to do with me. Uh, if you look at the tablature and a lot of the things that I write, it's a very open uh, right hand, where uh, it's not that I won't play consecutive notes or something mm-hmm. in a, you know, a single string or a stick, but I try to even it out so you can't tell which is which. I, I like to keep legato phrasing with open open strings if I can, mm-hmm. but if I want to make a point, then then I'll play a melody staccato, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but I like to be, you know, I don't like to get way up the neck and you know. I don't like to do that. I like you. Know, I like to play it, you know. Yeah. So um, 
the 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 thing that uh, is discouraging to me is that it's almost. I'm not saying this with all players, but uh, uh, there's no reason in the world that it can't uh, that you can't sight read to banjo. You don't get that much of a. I'm a very mediocre sight reader because I just don't get a chance to practice it or do it that much. Mm-hmm. But um, so we so we kind of got in this by talking about your. Um, desire to improvise like those fiddlers at that Idaho yes. convention. Yeah. So, so you said you transcribed a whole bunch of solos. How, um, I don't know, I guess I'm not sure what I'm asking other than how did that transition into you solving this puzzle of how to to improvise like those people? Oh, that you were God, I don't know. That's why, you know, I, I'm still not totally aware of what's going on. I, I admit it freely. Um, I was going to play you a Berline version of a tune, maybe. Go for it. Uh, yeah, it's called, um, what the heck is it? Tom and Jerry? there I how late is it anyway so that was uh that was off a tape a cassette tape mm-hmm. uh, I never forget it but you'll notice that when I go almost no movement on, on that's why that's being opportunistic <laughs> the efficiency, you mean? Yeah. The, okay. Hey, you you nailed it. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's a ticket. I'm efficient. <laughs> yeah. Which is why we wear three picks. Uh, everyone else plays with just the one. Why would you as limit Bill, yourself like that? As Bill Keith, as Bill Keith said, it it uh, it calls for an in, a finger independence of the right hand. Uh-huh. And um, that's a very difficult thing because um, just up in our brain. Neurologically, we're wired to grasp. Mm-hmm. So forward rolls, you know. Yeah. Grasping. When we have to unhand something, then it gets stranger, you know. Interesting. You pry something, yeah, I never out, about it you like pry that. something out of somebody's dead hands or something. But the idea is, is to go against that, you start to get finger independence and to practice that. Um, the banjo player, Billy Ray, liked to use backward... Uh, patterns quite a bit. Now, I don't, I don't use rolls. 
I, I have no idea what they are. I know people give names to these patterns and everything, forward, sure. backward, square, upside down, yeah. blue, red. But I don't know what they are because um, I didn't learn that way. I, I learned the most inefficient, horrible way that a person could learn, and that's one note at a time trying to move a pin over a, a, a needle over a record, you know. Just learn what the note is and then try and figure out how to go get it. Right, and my mother would, would <laughs> she said, you know, you never play anything. It's just, you just keep repeating over and over and over. <laughs> you never play anything. Why don't you play something? <laughs> So I finally, the first, in other words, instead of learning roles, uh, my first song that I learned was uh, Little Darling Palomine, Mm -hmm. you know. That, uh, I'd never forget it. Took it right off the record, you yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. So I finally got, I finally learned it. I don't know, uh, maybe two and a half months or something, taking it note for note. And I went in and I played it for my mom in the kitchen. And she goes, oh, that's nice, son. Aren't there like eight more songs on that album? Thanks for the, thanks for the encouragement. Yeah, the mom. encouragement, yeah. yeah. She was learning how you respond to uh, challenges, I guess, so. I just wanted to show her that I wasn't repeating all the time either. I was actually learning right. something. Yeah. But I don't, you know, um, I guess if I have one uh, objection to the way banjo is taught is that uh, when, when, a, when a technique becomes a thing in itself rather than the music and the finished product, um, where people are constantly looking for roles and tablature and that sort of a thing, which, according to my mind, should be dispensed with as soon as possible. Okay, <laughs> and interesting. And put, put into your ear. I mean, think about it. If if you want to, you want to play Dixie, you can sing Dixie and everything. Sing the sing the notes to Poggy Mountain Breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's rapid arpeggiation, and uh, the 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 beauty of it is when you do speed it up. You know, right. But um. I don't know, maybe the whole thing's a roll. <laughs> yeah. A whole song, you know, is a roll. You know? But um, I only say that because the, the, the Scruggs book came out three years after I began. So so you're, you're just kind of, uh, what's the word, maybe jaded that you didn't have that right away to... <laughs> it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made any difference. I couldn't read yeah. tablature at the time. I still yeah. don't read tablature that good, mm-hmm. that well. <laughs> that good? <laughs> Folks, there is plenty more to come from my conversation with Pat Cloud, but uh, you are going to have to wait for a future episode for that. Lots of good stuff still to come. Uh, You did hear several sound clips on this episode in order. They were Black Wolf, performed by Pat Cloud, 8th of January, performed by Eric Weisberg, Doug's Tune, performed by Doug Dillard, Sea Jam Blues, performed by Oscar Peterson, and Bloom Dito, performed by Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. Once again, thank you to Pete Miller, the Patreon supporter of this episode. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and you too can be a Patreon supporter. Get a hold of me, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And that's all I have to say for this. 
uh, I'm going to see you all next time for the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>